0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios. Listener-supported, WNYC Studios.
1: It's me, Jad Abumrad, here with More Perfect Season 3, the most perfect album. We are marching through all the 27 amendments to the Constitution, playing songs from the album we put together, along with audio liner notes that, uh, Dig in a little to what each of these amendments mean to us now. Today we have uh, three amendments, three songs. We put these three together because they represent three times in our history when collectively we decided to make what seemed like small tweaks to our democracy. But those small tweaks ended up having arguably massive effects, fundamentally shifting the way that we do things here in America, for better or worse. Okay, so that's generally what we're up to. We've got three amendments of that sort, three songs to go along with it, from the Most Perfect Album, mostperfectalbum.org. We're going to start with uh, amendment number 12, probably not an amendment you've ever thought about, but producer Rachel Cusick has, and she brings you this
2: liner note. Imagine a world where...
3: Ladies and gentlemen, the Republican nominee for president... These people. ...Donald J. Trump, and the Democratic nominee for president... Hillary Clinton.
2: Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton both run for president of the United States. Trump wins. Hillary loses. But instead of bowing out, Hillary Clinton becomes Trump's vice president. Let me respond to that because that's horrifying. Given the kinds of campaigns they ran, it's a crazy
3: thought. Donald Trump's ideas aren't just different. They are dangerously incoherent.
4: She has no natural talent.
2: These people attacked each other's character.
3: Do we want his finger anywhere near the button? She's one of the worst secretaries of state in the history of
2: our country. Their mental stability.
3: Now, I will leave it to the psychiatrist to explain his affection for tyrants.
4: But you were totally out of control. I said, there's a person with a temperament that's
3: got a problem.
2: They're voters.
3: You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. They're not deplorable. The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic,
0: you name it. Lock her up is right. How do you lie to the FBI and now you're
3: running for president?
2: How does that happen? And in no world would you pair these two people up and then expect them to co-lead a country. But for the first few years of our country, that's how elections worked. A bunch of people ran for office. The person with the most votes became president and the person with fewer votes became vice president. But very quickly, things went south. 1800, Thomas Jefferson squares off against John Adams. Jefferson's side basically calls Adams a hideous hermaphrodite. Adams fires back saying that Jefferson was the son of a half-breed Indian squaw. And everybody jumps to the conclusion that there is no way that these two guys can serve together. That our country needs a better way of doing this. And that way was
0: the 12th Amendment. 12th Amendment. Election of president and vice president. The electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for president and vice president one of whom, at least, shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. They shall name in their ballots the person voted for as president, and in distinct ballots the person voted for as vice president.
2: From then on, one person from each party would run with a chosen sidekick, and as long as they weren't from the same state, elections could carry on as normal without any forced partnerships. I can't help but wonder, though, if maybe, in some small way, this amendment fueled some of the hostility from the 2016 election. It took away the pressure to be civilized.
1: Rachel Cusick with that liner note for the 12th Amendment. Now the band that tackled the 12th on the Most Perfect Album, happens to be one of my favorite bands. I've been listening to these guys for like 10 years.
5: Hi, this is Toto from the band Octopus Project. We chose the 12th Amendment for our track without knowing too much about the amendment itself. Unlike the more famous amendments like the first or the second, the 12th is pretty dry and mostly deals with procedural details rather than describing specific individual rights, so we weren't completely sure how to approach it. Uh, When researching the amendment a little more, especially in an essay we found called Who's Afraid of the Twelfth Amendment, it became clear that the dryness and procedural language was the point that the Federalists believed that an intricate structure of checks and balances was a more effective deterrent to a tyrannical government than an enumeration of specific rights, or parchment barriers, as they called that approach. And there's something really interesting to us about the concept of a series of dispassionate systems and mechanisms being as much a defender of liberty as some of the more dramatic flaming sword amendments in the Bill of Rights. Same. What the looping, mechanical clacking sound in the track. Same connects with that image for us and I really like how the interlocking rhythms of the drums and the clacking sound provides a base for the more dramatic synths and theremins to enter on top of to continue the musical metaphor of the different approaches in the different amendments. Uh, hope you enjoyed the track. Thanks. Save.
1: You can hear that full song from the Octopus Project or any of these songs on the Most Perfect Album at themostperfectalbum.org. I love that song. Okay, so we're going to skip right ahead from 12 to 20 because they both came about around the same time. They both deal with the oddness of elections. This particular one, number 20, tries to close a Devilish little window of time that occurred after an election but before a person took office, sometimes called the lame duck period, which makes it sound gentle and harmless. But
4: as Julia Longoria will explain, it's not. It's not. Well, it's a small niche, but I'm certainly a 20th Amendment person, and there are not too many other people trying to fill that void.
6: (laughs) So I talked to this professor, Ed Larson. Who considers himself a 20th Amendment man?
4: Absolutely correct.
6: So it's like kind of hard to get people up in the morning for like structural changes. I guess the Bill of Rights might be a little bit more sexy, for lack of a better word, but. Well, it got me up
4: this morning. (laughs) (laughs) um, It can get people up, but it takes more explaining.
6: As unsexy as the 20th Amendment might seem, it was passed thanks in large part to a very sexy president.
4: Well, he was off in a hotel room with his mistress when he got word that he'd just getting the nomination.
0: They nominated the darkest of dark horse candidates. His name? Warren G. Harding. Warren G. was on the streets.
6: Warren G. Harding, 29th president of the United States, has become famous for his steamy infidelities. And his failures as a president.
4: I. There are very few supporters. Is uh, he
6: like universally acknowledged to be one of the worst presidents, or the
4: general consensus among historians and political scientists of both parties is Harding defines the bottom.
6: Harding himself famously said, "I am not fit for this office and should never have been here."
4: He was a, a, a modest man who had a lot of reason to be modest. <laughs>
6: He wasn't exactly an ideas guy. The Republican Party chose him as a compromise.
4: He would be a tool of the special interest and a tool of the members of Congress, the tool of the people picking him. And it turns out,
6: generally kind of a tool. And this one episode in President Harding's presidency was unpopular enough that it inspired the country to change something pretty fundamental about the way things ran.
4: The old system was set up Almost by accident.
6: It was an accident of timing. Since the founding of the nation, our government ran on a very strange schedule. Elections would happen in November like they do now. But new leaders wouldn't take office until way later. Presidents started their terms five whole months after they were elected. And Congress?
4: The new Congress didn't first meet for a year.
6: This created a strange phenomenon, where any time a Congress was elected, the old Congress, the lame duck Congress, they call it, that had been potentially voted out by its people, those guys got to meet for a whole session. A whole session where they didn't have to answer to the people.
4: And you ask why, why would such an obvious anomaly not be corrected. The reason is it's why other logical constitutional amendments don't get passed. Somebody gains. The lame ducks. The lame ducks gain from this. The lame ducks gain because they basically had an entire session of Congress where they were free to do what they wanted. And because every member of Congress views themselves as a potential lame duck They all are going to retire or lose sometime. You could never get enough of them to vote for the amendment. That is until this one
6: shameful, shameful episode under Warren G. Harding. Let's back up. My countrymen, there isn't anything the matter with... The world civilization...
4: President Harding ran on America's two catchphrases. One, he invented a new word.
6: Normalcy.
4: Return to normalcy. Whatever normalcy is, we're going to return to it.
6: Not revolution, but restoration. And right after World War I, that was a popular idea.
4: That vision of when America was was great. Hmm. He wanted to bring that back. The other was... The
0: America
4: first. America first. To
0: stabilize America first. To prosper America first. To think of America first.
4: He called for sort of isolationism, breaking relations with our traditional allies in Europe, getting rid of immigrants. I know what you're thinking. He pushed immigration legislation that became law that for the first time excluded. People from America, based on the source of where they came from, Southern Europe and Eastern Europe, totally barring people from Asia, of course, barring people from places like Africa. And the appeals for a return to normalcy and America First had tremendous resonance in 1920. By 1922... His second year in office... Wasn't quite so sure
6: because you had a backlash. And the midterm elections of 1922 were a landslide against Harding and the Republican Party.
4: The Democrats gained 84 seats. It was a huge wave election.
6: It was one of the biggest losses for a sitting president's party that the House of Representatives had ever seen. Just for contrast, the latest midterm swing in the House was roughly the 20th largest in history. This one was the fourth largest
4: in history. And yet... At the time? When you did have a wave election, when one party lost power, the other party hung around in control of Congress, passing all sorts of bills that were against the, the will of the people.
6: And I think that's crazy. Like, I don't think people really understand that, like, half, for years, for, like, the first 150 years of the, the democracy... Half the time, Congress had the potential to be completely undemocratic, right?
4: Is that a fair assessment? <laughs> I guess people wouldn't have called it a democracy back then. It was some sort of republic.
6: Right, right. But the audacity of Warren Harding's next
7: move. And, uh, now the, end is near.
6: the corrupt bills that he tried to get passed during the lame duck Session of 1922.
4: The most notorious one was his ships bill, bill to build ships for the merchant marine that would profit Republican donors and his friends mightily.
6: It woke a lot of people up, both Republicans and Democrats, to the problems with lame ducks.
4: Also, there were widespread rumors that he was promising jobs to lame duck members of Congress who would um, My vote his way.
1: My
6: way. President Harding didn't end up getting his way. One of the most famous filibusters in history stopped the ship's bill. And the widespread outcry against this corruption launched a campaign that would end with the following amendment to the U.S. Constitution, read for us now by actor Jeffrey Wright.
0: 20th Amendment. Presidential term and succession... Assembly of Congress. The terms of the president and the vice president shall end at noon on the 20th day of January, and the terms of senators and representatives at noon on the third day of January, of the years in which such terms would have ended if this article had not been ratified. And the terms of their successors shall then begin. Wait, did that that fix it?
6: Well, did the 20th Amendment solve the lame duck problem?
4: So we still have a legacy. Not completely. In the short lame duck period, it's no longer a lame duck session. It's shorter now, but... We do have a period when the old office holders continue to hold power, and that gets criticized because that old Congress, if it loses power, will suddenly confirm a bunch of judges or pass a bunch of laws, or the president will issue a bunch of pardons or or do a, lo- a whole slew of last-minute regulations. That's still a legacy that wasn't changed by the 20th Amendment because the 20th Amendment itself, like everything else in American, in the Constitution, is a compromise.
1: Julia Longoria with that liner note for the 20th Amendment. The artist that tackled the 20th on The Most Perfect Album uh, is Virginia rapper, R&B singer, Huey
4: Supreme. So my thoughts going in on this project was um, I thought it was a, a brilliant idea. I thought it was a grand idea because it's vital that people have to black people importantly, but everybody really need to know their constitutional rights, especially in today's climate. um, my thoughts going into the song is I had the twentieth amendment, and um there's a bunch of different sections to this amendment. um but it was it was interesting to see how would I attack this. And the way I approached it is I, I approached it from from the perspective of the actual person as if I was in Congress myself.
5: Before
1: You know what I like? I, what I like about the song is that Huey Supreme writes it from the perspective of somebody who's lost, maybe an election. Who knows? Uh, they're in that lame duck period, but they, but they, they decide not to be opportunistic about it because the work is way more important than they are, and so they just want to do good. So it sort of flips it to be more about like somebody who's faithful and selfless. Can carry on, no. You can hear that whole song at themostperfectalbum.org. I'm Jad Boomrod. We will continue in a moment. I'm Jad Boomrod. This is The Most Perfect Album. We've done 20. We've done
0: 12. One more to go. 17th Amendment. Popular election of senators.
7: This song? The was a club, made a pocket. What is this
6: song even about?
7: So senators, we'd rock and we'd make
6: I mean, it is about the 17th Amendment, the one and only amendment that created senators being voted in. I was like, so unchill while recording the song I wrote most of the lyrics staring at a cartoon that will pop up if you Google 17th amendment okay
1: so a little background Uh, that is indie rocker singer songwriter person Steph Chura who chose to write a song about the 17th amendment that is an amendment and she writes about this in her lyrics That explicitly tries to stamp out undue influence from special interests, that phrase you constantly hear politicians say, drain the swamp of special interests, no more special interests. Well, um, I didn't know this, but back in the day, we, the citizens of America, did not choose our senators directly. Uh, State legislatures would choose them for us. And that opened the door for those special interests to walk in and essentially buy power. You had uh, big oil companies, big coal companies, all kinds of big companies uh, making these backroom deals with state legislatures to get whoever they wanted elected. And the 17th Amendment put an end to that, made the electing of senators way more democratic.
6: So this this song goes out to my senators and the choice that we get in, in just like... Getting to choose, um, yeah. So
7: thank you. Uh, this was
5: this was a
0: pleasure.
1: You can hear Steph Chura's entire song at themostperfectalbum.org.
0: The Senate of the United States shall be composed of two senators from each state, elected by the people thereof for six years.
5: Well,
1: the Producer Julia Longoria hit it.
6: So, crazy story. For the first 150 years of our democracy, the people did not vote for our senators. Power
5: to the people.
6: Nope. Uh, so, yeah, the 17th Amendment changed that. It made things more democratic. And frankly, This seems like a very boring amendment, and I feel like we should move right along because there's really nothing to see here.
7: You're right that most people don't go around thinking about the 17th Amendment and kind of like, you know, burning with the desire to have their state legislatures appoint senators. uh,
6: (laughs) Yeah. But. That desire did burn in the heart of this man.
7: Yes, my name is John Daniel Davidson. I'm a senior correspondent at The Federalist.
6: The Federalist is a conservative online magazine. And John D.D. has written in it about the need to rethink the 17th. And maybe go back to the way things were, where state legislatures would choose our senators for us. It's an idea that first caught flame in his heart on a long drive where he says he saw democracy at work.
7: So I went to Alabama and I drove around the state, going to a lot of different small towns and talking with Baptist churches, working-class people.
6: The state was in the middle of a special election to replace their senator. Senator,
5: senator.
7: As I spoke to these people, the number one thing that came through was that they felt as though the federal government did not represent them and did not represent their values, and that they had no voice.
6: They felt like American democracy was being rigged by, wait for it, special interests. And at the time, there was one candidate who spoke directly to that feeling. His big message?
7: I do care about you. I am like you. I will represent you and not the special interests uh, that control Washington.
6: When you put it like that, it sounds kind of romantic,
7: though. I mean, so, right? Like, it's like, uh, right, Oh, I'm gonna right. No, it yeah, does. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds romantic. And until you end up with candidates like Roy Moore,
3: let's break it down. A total of nine women have now come forward with allegations of overtures by Roy Moore.
7: Well,
4: what we're talking about here, Chris is a
0: 14 year old little girl. Roy Moore is a pedophile.
7: Right? And and that's when the reality kind of comes crashing in that that you do need to temper the will of the people and to direct it in positive directions.
6: In other words, maybe the people, people. I people don't
4: always know best.
6: Maybe, and this is something you hear a lot these days, maybe democracy is not all it's cracked up to be
4: we do not have a democracy established by the constitution
6: that's todd Zawicky, one of the first people who called for the repeal of the 17th amendment would you say that you were like the founder of this movement
4: uh well first it's a, a bit of an overstatement to call it a movement uh <laughs> <laughs> at this point yeah uh,
6: he has no fantasies about the 17th actually being repealed But he thinks it's a worthy thought experiment. Is it fair to say that you kind of want the Senate to look a little bit more like the Supreme Court?
4: Well, I think that's what the framers had in mind, that people who served in the Senate would be people who weren't really going to stoop and scrabble for votes the way that we would expect the House of Representatives to do it.
6: And Todd's argument sort of mirrors what a lot of the founders way back at the beginning were scared of. Hamilton, Madison, Adams, one of their big fears was that the people don't always know best, that democracy is good, but it's not everything. Because what ends up working with the people is sometimes rhetoric. It's stooping and scrabbling and telling people what they want to hear. Todd's argument is that we need a vetted group of people to pick the Senate. That'll mean senators are smarter,
3: more independent, more thoughtful. I, I wanted to ask you, these people that you talked to, mm-hmm. um, did, did they convince you any?
6: They gave me more reason to pause than I thought they would, actually. Historian Nancy Unger is team democracy. Can you give me, like, the catchiest radio jingle version of the argument for the 17th Amendment? And, like, why we shouldn't curtail the people's right to
3: basically shoot ourselves in the foot? I would probably have to give you Robert La Follette's quote, "...the supreme issue involving all the others is the encroachment of the powerful few upon the rights of the many." doesn't exactly roll off the tongue but we'll take it Democracy is
5: coming
6: to the
0: USA.
6: Nancy argues you kind of gotta pick your poison like on the one hand a world without the 17th amendment we kind of already
3: know what that looks like anybody can do a Google search and look at some of the cartoons from the Gilded Age and, and Progressive Era. Those
6: are sort of the periods right before the 17th was passed.
3: And there's a very famous one of all the, the senators in the Senate, but behind them are the real bosses of the Senate. And there's these huge money bags. You know, senators were essentially being bought and sold. Now, money in politics, obviously still an issue. but It's not unchecked the way that it really was, I believe, prior to the 17th Amendment. So that's one reality.
6: Balanced against that, you have the current situation, where you get the Roy Moores of the world. And it seems like we the people have this tendency sometimes to take out the proverbial gun, polish it, point it
3: right down at our foot, and pow. Well, I think that is a problem, but for me it's the lesser of two evils. Nancy thinks back to those progressive lawmakers who first made the 17th Amendment happen. Their moment was this real belief in the power of the people. That the progressives, you know, a lot of these people were, you know, alive during the Civil War. They remembered Abraham Lincoln. They really believed that you could trust the people, empower them, and they would use that power for good that says a lot about their moment, and I think the idea of um, repealing it now says a certain amount about our moment. There are risks in democracy. I just don't think that we have the right to expect that everything's going to be simple or it's going to be perfect. The deeply frustrating thing about democracy, but also the
6: deeply beautiful thing about it, is that every decision is only here
3: for a spell. Every bad decision, and also every good decision. You know, you're never done. You're always working, you're always developing, you have to fight for democracy. Every generation has to fight for it in a new way.
1: Next week, we'll have the final episode of this season, the final two amendments. Look out for that. Uh, Props to Julia Longoria and also to Donnie De Niro, who sang a song about the 17th Amendment, which you heard in that story. More Perfect is produced by me, Jad Abumrad, Susie Lechtenberg, Julia Longoria, Kelly Prime, Sarah Kari, and Alex Overington. With help from Ellie Mistal, Michelle Harris, and David Gable, thank you to actor Jeffrey Wright for being the voice of the amendments and to the National Constitution Center for collaborating with us on the website. Nora Keller is the reason our album, 27, The Most Perfect Album, exists. Listen to it at themostperfectalbum.org. I'm Jad Abumrad. Thanks for listening.